Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and cancer. This week's episode is Food and Family with Claire Powell, author of the brilliant, funny, poignant and frankly genius debut novel At The Table. Centred around the Maguire family, At The Table follows Nicole and Jamie as they find out their parents are separating. This is a very special book because every chapter takes place around a different meal. When I heard about the book on Instagram, I immediately slid into Claire's DMs because I knew we had so much in common. It was right before the publication of my debut novel, Single Bald Female, which also touches on food and family. And on top of that, I had just launched this podcast. I read At The Table on a spa trip the weekend after my book came out, and it was the ultimate indulgence in every sense of the word. Claire and I met up for lunch, naturally, and talked about the experience of writing our first novels, but we didn't even get time to to get onto our favourite restaurants. So I'm looking forward to chatting more about that today. At the Table weaves food so wonderfully throughout the chapters while exploring the different characters' lives, so Claire was the ideal guest to talk to me about food and family. Claire, thank you for joining me and welcome to Life in Food. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. That was a lovely introduction. First of all, massive congratulations on your book, which I loved and have been raving about to everyone, as you know. Um, Do you want to start with a quick reading from the novel? Yes, Thank you so much. Um, This is, I've chosen a scene from the first chapter and it's when the family have all met in this um, restaurant, the Delaunay in London. There's an awkward dance as Jamie and Jerry both move to take the chair beside Linda. Jamie, polite as ever, apologises. No, you go there, Dad. It's fine. I'll sit here. Nicole wishes her father would sit beside her but Lucy has already claimed that seat. She touches Nicole's arm and they immediately exchange compliments. Your hair looks nice like that. This is lovely. Where's it from? Nicole doesn't really care where Lucy bought the floral tea dress. She'd never wear it herself. But this is just the way they greet each other, a ritual between two women soon to be in-laws. Jamie has been with Lucy forever, or at least since university. He teaches English in a secondary school now, and she works in advertising, though she often talks of falling into her job, an MFA in curating having led to nothing. The waiter arrives with the cremant and the tap water. He takes drinks orders from the others, a bottle of Rioja for Jerry and Jamie, a gin and tonic for Lucy. When he's gone, they all look down at the menu 
and discuss whether they're doing starters and or dessert. Nicole says she already knows what she wants. She's hung over and getting the least sophisticated item on the menu, a hot dog with fries. Jerry says, are you ever not hung over? The others laugh. Nicole thinks her father is looking a little hungover himself today. Small eyes, dry lips, cheeks flecked with broken capillaries. She feels a dull anxiety, a sense that everything is not okay. Oh my God, you've just made me want to read it all over again. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's just, it's so familiar. We can all imagine sitting down for that meal and like everyone's in a completely different frame of mind and yeah. everyone's ordering different stuff and just the discussion of whether you're all going to get starters or mains or whatever it's so British isn't it it is so British yeah definitely thank you I wanted to ask you because you set that first scene at the Delaunay which is this opulent iconic London restaurant Mm. what was it that made you set it there and also for anyone who hasn't been including me uh, and I really should have been because I do write about restaurants for a living why did you pick that restaurant and can you describe it Oh, yes. So um, I picked the restaurant because I have been there a lot and it's somewhere that I went to a lot with my family before lockdown and I wrote the book in lockdown. And so when I started and I was trying to think of restaurants, I I knew I wanted to be in a restaurant the first chapter, um, the Delaunay just came to mind because I've had a lot of meals there, none of them where this has happened. <laughs> um, and I thought there, there is something about the Delaunay. The Delaunay is in sort of theatre land. And so it's this very sophisticated restaurant, but that also appeals to lots of people who have sort of out of towners, should we say, who have come up and have got tickets for the Tina musical mm-hmm. or um I feel like I always see a celebrity when I'm in there, but it's this real mix of Londoners because it is people who also come up for a special occasion. It's a very special occasion place as well. Um it's very grand. It has this this huge ceiling. I think there was just a familiarity in writing about it because I had because I knew it well. And I felt I could see the Maguires there. I felt like um, the the couple, Jerry and Linda, are described as this suburban double act. But it's their daughter, Nicole, who's um, definitely a more um, urbane and sophisticated young woman. And she has she has chosen to take them there and they have sort of dressed up and, you know, um, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's a very special occasion place, I suppose. And you, t- I suppose there's also this massive juxtaposition of special occasion place and parents announce that they're splitting up as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want it to be like the the, the local Chinese or something because um, just the, I wanted that awkwardness of going somewhere that's um, particularly uh grand um to to make it yeah that bit more awkward nothing more awkward than like one of those really difficult confrontational life conversations and then you've got a waiter who comes over and like so have you decided what you're going to order yeah and I think it's that feeling of like 
we should be really enjoying ourselves. We should mm. be, this is, and I think sometimes it can be like that with family as well in that there's a special occasion or something where the family have met up. And so everyone is, is kind of prepped to be like, okay, the family getting together and we should have a really good time because also we know we're <laughs> going to spend a lot of money at this restaurant. And yet that sort of puts pressure on everybody and everybody comes to it feeling a little bit like, mm, what's the, what's the dynamic going to be? What's, you know, is there going to be some tension? Um, whereas perhaps in your local restaurant, you'd be a little bit more relaxed. So I wanted that, that tension right from the start. That's such an, just an interesting theme in itself, the, the pressure that we feel to enjoy ourselves when we oh, spend gosh. a lot of money. Mm. Definitely, a, a really nice, amazing restaurant. You can sometimes have those um, letdowns, can't you? If if you're just not enjoying yourself, or if you're just in an off mood. Totally. I was talking to someone about this recently and saying, like, expensive restaurants or just you know fancy restaurants in London that everyone's talking about. They can be amazing, but the best meals usually aren't there because mm. I think quite often you can go there with an expectation. Um, and then it is a case of sort of looking at the prices on the menu and being like, okay, oh, okay, £34 for a main course. Do you want to have that or shall I have a look at what the vegetarian options are? And, you know, and then it just becomes a slightly more stressful experience, especially if you're with friends who are maybe, you know, a bit more flush or, um, or, or you eat the food and it's like, it's not quite worth the money yeah. and neither of you want to say that. And so you're like, okay, that was good, but was it? Yeah, I've experienced that so many times. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you touched on it um, before, but you wrote this book in lockdown and pretty much every scene is centered around a meal of some sort and a lot of them are in restaurants. How did you, how was that experience of not being able to go to the restaurants whilst you were writing? It was enjoyable in a lot of ways, but also we didn't really know when we were going to be able to go to restaurants. So there was a strange feeling while writing it of kind of holding on to something and really going back into memories and hugely, hugely missing restaurants and missing that social, being able to see family and friends in a restaurant. So the book has the unique concept of being centred around different meals, which are very much at the heart of the family. Where did the idea come from? I was just thinking about my family and how I suppose now that we're grown up, so much of our socialising does revolve around meals. And a lot of it revolves around meeting in restaurants because my parents are separated and um my dad doesn't cook at all. So, I mean, hardly ever. So we really only ever meet him and have done for years in restaurants. Um, and I thought how with, yeah, with, with friends as well, there's, you know, often meet each other in restaurants. And so um, I just like food. I suppose just thinking about how food is, I wanted it to be, like none of the characters are, are particularly sort of foodies or they're not hugely interested or knowledgeable about food. And yet mm. for me, it felt very realistic to, you know, that is a, that is a time that we do get together with people is often around meals or drinks. Um, so I had the idea quite early on of this family meeting um, 
in restaurants. And actually, I was much more strict with myself at the beginning. And I thought I was going to write an entire novel that was going to each chapter was going to be in a specific restaurant. And this was before lockdown that I had this idea. Maybe I was just trying to give myself a structure to kind of make it easier to write in a way mm. of uh, thinking, okay, because then I, I I know how to plan it a bit easier and we can jump from there to there. And But then when it actually came to writing it, that quite quickly became far too restrictive. And so that was sort of out the door. But I still liked basing it around food, whether it was, you know, there's a lot in the in the book of um, meals that even don't happen, that, that people talk about going for food and then they don't actually end up going for food or meeting for food, but they are, that's the plan. The plan is to meet for food. Yeah, got you. And so you grew up in Southeast London. Your parents divorced, I think, when you were 18. Yeah. What was food like in your family growing up before they broke up? Before they broke up, I'd say we we were a very um, ordinary British family and what we ate. Um, I have very few sort of strong memories of like what we ate midweek. And I spoke to my mum about it and she was like, yeah, I can't really remember either because <laughs> she you know couldn't really no not she couldn't be bothered but she wasn't that interested in making sort of family meals to three to to feed three kids we probably had tea times um you know chicken kiev probably a lot of pasta um definitely went through a microwave meal phase but the weekends were slightly different because my dad would be my dad wasn't uh, at work and so i suppose the the classic sunday roast is a, a really strong food memory that I've got or that I can think of us all sitting down at whatever it would have been four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon um and was that your dad who cooked that or my dad mom? would have cooked that yeah yeah so he has he has a few recipes in his repertoire Christmas Christmas dinner oh, <laughs> roast right. dinner um and I think he enjoyed that whole, you know, blokes often do, don't they? The whole sort of like the big shebang of the of the roast dinner. It's like the timing of the meat and then the vegetables and the gravy and spending sort of a lot of the afternoon making it. Yeah. Um, and it was probably also one of the only times that we all sat down as a family to eat because during the week we'd have had tea time at sort of six o'clock or something and um, – my dad wouldn't have got would have got back from work too late to eat with us. Mm. And what about after they divorced? Did that change your relationship with food? Um, after they split up, my my mum definitely became my mum became a better cook as or she she just did it more and she was much more experimental as we sort of became teenagers. And I know that that is because she started just enjoying making what I suppose she wanted to eat and not having to worry about what an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and, you know, three-year-old wanted to eat. Um, so there was probably a lot more interesting food that my mum was making at home. But by then, I very quickly moved out and moved to university. And so there wasn't really a home, you know, we certainly weren't coming back for the roast dinner anymore. That went out the window, but we would uh, still see my dad. Um, yeah. In restaurants um, either during the week or 
my family support Charlton Athletic and um, whenever there was a game on it would always be organized that we'd go and have something to eat in a restaurant in Greenwich Mm. um, before the game even if like I wouldn't always go to the game but I'd go along for the lunch uh, and then they'd leave you know and was that your mum and dad coming back together for that or that was separately not my mum no no no. that would have been me my sister and my brother and then partners that we had or anything but yeah and, and my dad got you and what was your own relationship with food like growing up was it did you have a difficult relationship an easy relationship I loved food growing up I mean I, I'm not I wouldn't say like oh I, I ate so many different types of food and I was so experimental <laughs> but I certainly had a very um easy if not greedy relationship with food like I I ate loads and yeah really enjoyed pretty much everything I was ever given I think I mean school I probably had actually I went to the school that Jamie Oliver came and did um his school dinners documentary at yeah (laughs) but I was I had left by then but I remember him doing his whole thing about like turkey twizzlers or whatever it was and um I think he did it in like our our food tech rooms and but I yeah I I was just growing I shot up I, I got I got sort of tall quite quickly as a teenager and so I just had a big appetite and wanted to eat loads so it probably wasn't until um sadly post-university that I started becoming a little bit more disciplined about food or thinking oh shouldn't eat that and what's what's good and what's bad I don't remember um as a teenager or as a child thinking much about it I just ate whatever and what about um when did you because obviously from the book you you love food and restaurants um where did that passion for eating out kind of develop and what what is your relationship are you like a one of these people who you know has a list of restaurants that you're crossing off or do you go back to the same ones and are you all about fine dining or do you like you know Nando's I, I do like Nando's, um, although I kind of had Nando's too much in a row and then I went right off it after one of them that I didn't like, you know. Um, I I got, into, I got into restaurants definitely through my dad, through meeting him in restaurants um, and then through working in town and us, um, you know, that part of being sort of part of the, the work culture of going out to restaurants all the time, probably in both of those scenarios, I wasn't paying for the meals myself. Mm-hmm. So that was especially great. Um, and now with restaurants, no, I wouldn't say I've got my finger on the pulse of what of what new restaurants have arrived. I have some friends that do, and I love to meet up with them because someone will suggest somewhere that I've never heard of before. And um, But it's a bit exciting generally my boyfriend and I stick to like local restaurants in Broccoli, Deptford, Lewisham um whether that's partly out of laziness of us just being like can't even obviously go out of town but also it's you know you can get a real I like the 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 neighborhood restaurants that you know the little Italian um we've got a very cheap Indian restaurant near us um yeah that that's probably that's probably more of my sort of weekly if we were going to go out for somewhere on a Friday night. But with the family, we still do these kind of special occasion restaurants, you know, if we meet every every few months or something, if there's if there's a a reason that they're yeah, we'll we'll choose somewhere in town that's um a bit swankier 
you got to book in advance yeah how um how have you been out to celebrate your book launch since publication Do you know what? I don't think I've had a specific meal celebrating it or I just can't remember. I do feel like this pregnancy has totally, I'm like totally lost my focus of like, what have I been doing? Where's my, I have massively, I've now entered the baby brain. Um, But also, yeah, since the, since I was, four months pregnant when the I think when the when the book came out so whatever I might have imagined at other points of sort of going out for these champagne lunches and (laughs) you know that uh hasn't really happened but I've had a lovely meal with my agent and also with my publicist in both very nice restaurants in Soho um neither of which I'd which I'd been to before but there's been a lot of like the whole process with my book, I don't know if it's the same with you, but having written it in lockdown and um, having lots of things like writing it in lockdown, signing with an agent in lockdown, signing with a publisher in lockdown. These are all the different lockdowns. Obviously it went over a year. (laughs) Um, And then each of them was kind of celebrating on the sofa, basically getting a bottle of champagne and a piece of cake and, um, celebrating there and then when the book finally did come out I got COVID and so uh the party that we planned that was in the upstairs of a pub in London Bridge had to be cancelled the week before oh no so well well, hopefully at some point you'll be able to have a a massive yeah or paperback I'm thinking I would like I'm aiming for a paperback when do your paperback come out at the moment uh, beginning of March 2023 okay perfect good timing well you've already given the game away but on the topic of family you are pregnant congratulations yes. <laughs> <laughs> um we are recording this episode in July on one of the hottest days of the year and you'll have had the baby by the time it comes out um but you've kindly given me permission to mention that you had IVF and I wanted to ask about food and pregnancy obviously when we're trying to get pregnant we often change our diets was what was your experience of nutrition around trying to get pregnant oh absolutely horrible in that I so I had unexplained infertility and because of that you're kind of just you know grasping at straws or whatever of being like what could it be I need to now do everything that I can to make myself as kind of healthy as possible because maybe it's something that I'm doing wrong. Maybe I'm not eating right or I'm drinking too much. And so I bought the books. I was also with an IVF clinic that was very um, sort of holistic centred in it. It, it. it was very about your nutrition and to be honest, I look back at that and I just find it also miserable. It was also miserable. And I'm not even sure how much I buy into it because I think at the end of the day, I, I got pregnant through, IVF through, through, through drugs and through tests that they gave that found out certain things. And mm. um... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I, yeah, I became kind of obsessive at, at certain points of of what I was eating, how much protein I was getting. You're on this weird diet that, um, you know, you're conscious of the amount of sugar that you're eating. I'm not saying sugar's a good thing, but sugar's also really pleasurable and I love sugar. And so you're just cutting, I, I was just trying to cut down on loads of food. Also, I even, I, I did acupuncture for a while and I remember being told that, um, I should avoid cold things, cold food. And it was the summer and I wanted to eat ice cream. And I had this voice in my head saying, no, you can't eat ice cream. And I'm already saying no to the glasses of rosé that I really want to drink. And now now I also can't eat ice cream because the ice cream is going to mess with my chi or whatever, you know. Um, So, yeah, it, it wasn't, I'm not somebody who's come out of the experience and gone, I'm so glad I changed my diet for IVF because I think it made a massive difference. And um, I think it probably made me more stressed. Mm. Um, And I think I I should have just trust myself because I'm a healthy person. And uh, I think I could have just gone with my um, instinct a little bit more and worried a bit less about reading the books that say what you can do for your egg health and, you know, these kind of things that you need to buy from health food shops and stuff. And yeah, um, it can make you very, very miserable having to follow a specific diet, especially when your food is life, you know, when you're, when you're a real food is your whole life kind of person, like we are. Yeah. And, and, and as I'm sure, you know, like when you're, when you're going through something that's emotionally difficult, 
food food can, you know is obviously such a pleasure and it mm. and it can be such a comfort and to have this voice in your head that's saying you should we shouldn't have that it feels sort of ridiculous really but yeah. you know I also have heard anecdotally or through other people that they really felt like changing their diet helped them um become more successful with you know get get more eggs or whatever um, with IVF so I'm not dismissing it completely it just it wasn't it was too much for me yeah absolutely and it's just all so completely individual as well um what what works for one person will not necessarily work for another yeah now that you're pregnant has your diet changed a lot are you almost back to normal are you being really careful I'm careful as in with the things that they say you shouldn't Mm. eat but I'm loving food. <laughs> Good. I feel like any voice that I've had from being a grown up, from being an adult of that, oh, you shouldn't really have that now because you had that for your lunch or something, has completely switched off. It's like, what do you feel like eating? Eat what you eat, eat, eat that now. And the weird thing is, what I feel like eating isn't the biscuits, chocolate, ice cream, you know, what you might imagine this kind of childish appetite of. Uh, sugar and junk food it is often that I'm like I really want loads of tomatoes right now I really mm. feel like loads of tomatoes um I want bananas make a banana bread I want but it's very enjoyable I suppose to not to I guess be I'm, I'm 37 to be a woman that's not worrying about calories or mm. you know what um your bikini body because you're you're growing a baby and so there's no there I don't have that um narrative in my head that's probably has been in my head for a long time as I'm sure it is with a lot of women um but I really miss sushi oh yeah Uh, yeah I was the same both both in lockdown when it was impossible to get sushi living in Croydon and secondly when I was going through cancer treatment when you basically it's the same as pregnancy yeah. so you don't Be have careful. a happy Very ending gorgeous. Yeah. um you can't have sushi you can't have runny eggs you can't have yeah soft cheese all the good stuff but yes yeah, sushi. Yeah, yeah. I love sushi too yeah so and it is all the good stuff isn't it like yeah, yeah we went to France and I had to I was just looking at like the ham and the cheeses that were coming out like no I can't have that cheese oh. like I can have that hard cheese but yeah I am looking forward to having all of that once the baby's out yeah do you know where you'll go for your first sushi or your first uh, non-pregnant meal after the baby's born? Oh, um, no, I was kind of thinking I'll probably get some sushi delivered. Good. Yeah, great plan. Um, so we'll just find, I mean, I'll just look at delivery to be honest and see what's <laughs> rated highly. There's some places in East Dulwich. There's one, uh, Yamamomo, I think, which is very expensive for a delivery, but I think I will deserve it to get some nice salmon nigri. Um, yeah, that's that's plan at the moment. Probably a nice piece of steak at some point as well. I found having um, – I don't eat loads of red meat, although I should because I've got low iron, but um, I am looking forward to having a steak that's like medium rare. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Um, you're having a little boy. Congratulations. Yes. Um, well, you touched on like the kind of diet conscious mind that women have, but obviously eating disorders and, you know, eating issues affect men and boys as well. And we're all very conscious these days of our mental health and how that ties in with body image and food. 
In terms of starting your own family, have you thought of what your approach um, might be like uh, raising a little boy? Or even if you were raising a girl, it might not be any different, I guess. Uh, I haven't I haven't thought too far into the future. Um, but in general, my boyfriend and I love food. And I guess our hope is that because we love it, we're going to pass that on to our child and um and that you know hopefully we'll he'll he'll enjoy it too and certainly I'm going to try not to kind of do the good food bad food and food as reward uh and hope that he's got an appetite basically like like I did when I was a kid I want to eat everything um the only thing, so my boyfriend's half French and he uh, told me that when he was a child, he would always eat with his family um, during the week and they would have dinner at sort of eight o'clock. And I found that so like, what? You you ate dinner at eight o'clock as a child with your family? You know, we certainly didn't do that. It was very much like the kids' tea time. But I think... Um, I, I like that sort of European approach, I suppose, of um, of eating with your children. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's something that is a, if there's any vague plan, uh, obviously you're not going to do that when they're really young. But um, as they as they get a bit older, it would be nice. It would be nice to do something like that, maybe. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm, I'm easy going. I'm kind of like, let's just wait and see let's see what he's like let's see if we're tired and we want to put him to bed or you know absolutely yeah I think you've just got to be kind to yourself in those situations I I can imagine as a mother it must be so hard to put pressure on yourself to you know I've heard this from some of my friends putting pressure on themselves to feed their children the best possible nutritious thing but then realizing that actually you know anything you can you know, you can only do your best, I suppose, for your children, and as Absolutely. long as you've you got, yeah. got their best interests at heart, and yeah, I and I think like the whole thing with sugar, we're certainly not going to be a family that bans our child from eating sugar, but I think you've also got to be conscious of what sugar does to children, and mm. you know, they go loopy once they've had mm-hmm. a bit too much of it, and so, um, yeah, maybe just. I, I, I'm I don't I've obviously as you can tell from my experience with the IVF diet I'm not my approach is not a sort of super health conscious um I think we'll go with the flow see what problems arise um yeah yeah absolutely well that's the end of the main questions I'm going to finish off by asking you my quick questions that I ask yeah. everyone at the end of the podcast your relationship to food fuel or pleasure pleasure absolutely favorite meal of the day my favorite meal of the day is uh lunch but more specifically lunch in a restaurant a long boozy lunch Mm. preferably in the summer um preferably on a terrace somewhere either with friends or family or boyfriends in this country or another country but there's something about a long lunch that I find so indulgent and just like the good life yeah uh lunch at home yeah take it or leave it 
Any particular I mean, I, I restaurant? Never leave it. I always have lunch, but <laughs> any particular restaurant for lunch? Um, oh, no. I mean, I'm just immediately picturing myself in Italy and just thinking mm. of sitting sitting somewhere outside and having a a, a massive plate of spaghetti and um, a bottle of wine to share. Yeah. We are re-watching Normal People at the moment. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if you saw, did, have you watched it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the scene where they're, I think they're in Tuscany and just sitting around a table in this beautiful, like, in the garden. chateau. Yeah, I know it's not called a yeah. chateau in Italy, but um, yeah, just sitting outside and having a long, long meal in the sun or in the shade. Lovely. Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Breakfast at my mum's house. My mum now, she moved out of London and she lives in Suffolk with her partner. And when we visit her, we often visit her as a family. So me and my brother and sister and um, my stepdad's kids might be there too. And breakfast is just this long, informal affair where you come down whenever and there is always loads of stuff on the table. You get cups of tea, first of all, then it'll be like, Greek yogurt, fruit compote, some fruit salad that she's cut up, followed by John, my mum's partner, will then offer who wants eggs. It might depend on, you know, people might be hungover from the night before. And then the toast comes out, coffees. um, And it's just this lovely, lovely, lovely time, um, yeah, of of being together with people, but in a really relaxed way. You might have some kids at the table too doing some colouring in. And also my mum just does toast better than I'm ever able to do toast. I don't know why. I think she does, I think she does more butter and jam than I'd ever put on it myself. But is it just normal white bread? No, it probably wouldn't be white. It's, um, she gets a really good loaf from the co-op that's probably like a granary type one. Right. Interesting. I mean, that just sounds like a hotel breakfast to me. Exactly. I lived in Brazil for a while and you used to have, you just get, used to get this spread and there'd be rolled up, rolled up slices of ham, these little like sort of mini baguette things, but then there'd be cake. There'd always be orange cake with like a chocolate glaze and then coffee uh, and these, pound, I don't know if you've ever had pão de queijo or the Brazilian cheese bread, like little dough balls, but cheese. Oh. And yeah, you just you just reminded me, you took me back to sitting on the terrace of a little uh, inn, posada type place on the beach and um, having that breakfast spread. That sounds spread. lovely. Just yeah. like meals going on for a long time is what I like, basically. A nice, yes. informal, spread out over time, taking your time and lots of different courses, probably. Yeah. One food that has healed you? Risotto. Making risotto. I love making risotto. And um, I love eating it. I think it's a really delicious comfort food. But any time when I have been stressed or sad or, you know, disappointed by anything that's happened, I think make a risotto. There's something about standing there. Mm the stock, the ladling in the stock, the kind of slow process of it, but how you you have to you have to keep your eye on it. It's it's one of it's also like I find it relatively easy now because I've been doing it for years. And so once you get into it, I know people sometimes talk about it as being hard, but it's not. If you do it enough it's it's mm. pretty easy as long as you you stick with the stirring and you've got your your stock on the right amount. Listen to a podcast or some music. Um and then you get to eat it afterwards and it's just mm. like mm, delicious. Yeah, comfort, stodgy food. It's all about the parmesan as well, isn't it? All about parmesan and butter at the end. 
bit of black pepper. Yeah, I love it. One dish that reminds you of family? My nan used to make a shortbread biscuit and it was like my nan's recipe. It would always come out, you know, whenever she'd come round, there was the shortbread. Uh, and it was absolutely delicious, crumbly, beautifully made. Everyone always loved it. Bless her, then she got dementia and she completely forgot the recipe, once tried to make it and forgot to put sugar in it. Um, She's not alive anymore, but that's a, yeah, that that definitely reminds me of family and specifically kind of being at her house in her little kitchen and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the way that that a lot of grandparents do is this, they want to feed you. It's just like bringing bringing out more food. Well, here, I'll have have a yogurt that's in the fridge, have this shortbread biscuit, have a chocolate bar. Do you want a cake? Do you want want an eclair? Um, Yes, my grandma was all all about chocolate. Chocolate eclairs, though, as in like the little sweet rather than the big. Oh no, she liked the big big uh, bun. The big bun, yeah. (laughs) Just lots of sweet food, basically, yeah. And do you have the recipe for the shortbread? Do you make it? No, we didn't get it. I know, but I don't think we we didn't. I don't think we got it off of her. And by the time somebody, I think, tried to get it down, I think she had forgotten how to make it. I'll have that to could, ask. Maybe my auntie. Maybe my auntie might have written it down. That could be your pregnancy project. You could just spend the next couple of months just div- like a uh, you know working Doing on it. See if versions. you could get there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> um, one recipe that everyone should know how to cook. I don't know that everyone should know how to cook this, but I think rice is something that some people can get wrong or can sort of undercook or overcook or and. The recipe that I've had is one that my mum gave me a long time ago and I think it's a really good recipe where you start off frying a vegetable like a leek or an onion. Then you add the rice. Let's say you add one cup of rice to that and so you fry that off for a bit and then you add two cups of stock, bring it to the boil, put the lid on it and turn it back down and just basically wait until the rice has soaked up all of that stock which depending on whether you're cooking white rice or brown rice might be 15 minutes or half an hour. And you, there's no need to drain it. And it's always a really fluffy, moist rice that goes really well with like roast chicken or salmon. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's really, and it's really flavoursome. It's not like that kind of plain white rice that is just, yeah, in, in a sieve and then on your plate. It's, yeah, it's really tasty. That sounds perfect. I'm hopeless at cooking rice. So I'm going to re-listen to this podcast and just write that down. (laughs) Uh, Your best meal ever? I don't know if this can count as a meal, but actually my boyfriend and I went to Paris um, a few years ago and we actually had a really bad meal in, I think it was like a steak restaurant or something that had been recommended. But you know, you're in Paris and you, you want to have really good food. And so the disappointment when you've gone somewhere and you're realizing that like oh the atmosphere wasn't right it, the food was really average it was probably very expensive so we weren't in a great mood um and as we were on our way back to our hotel which was in the Pagal uh district we passed this really small little bistro that was just around the corner from the hotel and it had that sort of buzzy parisiany feel and so we went in and got stools at the bar and we ordered drinks and then we got a slice of tart tartan and it was the most delicious tart tartan mm. I have ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And 
we had one of them and then I'm sure we were like, let's get another one. And it was everything about it. It was the stumbling across somewhere, the sort of the surprise of it, the fact that we'd had a bit of a rubbish night before and this was like a lovely ending. Um, I think, yeah, being in Paris where they pour your wine without having to go, here's 175 milliliters, but someone will just go, okay, you want a glass of white wine? Here's one that I recommend. And it was lovely. And we have been back many times since. It's actually, it's not, we thought, what is this little neighborhood place we've stumbled upon? It's called Bivette and it's a chain and they have them in New York, Japan. And actually one opened in Notting Hill a few years ago. I was going to say, yeah, I thought there was one in London. we We haven't been to it yet, but um I don't know that I'd go to the one in London because it's still, I kind of just want to keep it in my mind as this little place in Paris that, yeah, that was how I remember it. Yeah. If you've had a good, really great, amazing, memorable meal somewhere, sometimes it's best never to go back Yeah, and risk ruining it. Ruining it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of food and family? I would say to always appreciate when somebody's cooked for you and to tell them thank you immediately <laughs> that even if what they've given you you might be thinking no this, this isn't that great uh or this isn't quite what I wanted or whatever don't ever say that because that person has spent time cooking for you and it's such a lovely thing to have somebody cook for you um and I've made the mistake before of saying kind of quickly, I mean, I'd probably say it more to my boyfriend than I think to somebody else, but you might, oh, oh, okay, is that, oh, that's, I don't know. Oh, you've put that with it. I think, no, don't do that. Just enjoy it. Just, you know, and wait for them. They're probably more likely to say, could do with some extra pepper. Probably could have missed out that ingredient. Um, but just appreciate that somebody has cooked for you and, and show that to them because it's and also it's really lovely when you cook for someone and they say this is absolutely delicious yeah that's so 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 true hopefully it won't take your son too long before he starts appreciating your cooking for him yeah <laughs> Claire thank you so much this has been such a joy um your passion for food has just completely shone through and I'm, I hope oh, that we've persuaded you. lots of people to go and buy your book at the table which is just incredible so thank you Thank you, Laura. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can buy At The Table from any bookshop and you can follow Claire on Instagram at Claire Meg Powell. I put those links in the show notes. You can also buy my book, Single Bald Female, which explores the role of food in family, friendship and grief with a strong role from some seriously mouthwatering donuts. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes for more information on my past and future podcast guests. And you can read my newsletter on Substack via the link in the show notes. Now, a favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on. And give this podcast a review or rating and hit the subscribe button. It really, really, really helps other listeners to discover the podcast. And as an independent podcaster, that's pretty much the only tool I have. So I need your help. I'll be back in another two weeks with a fresh episode and I'd love to see you there. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.